We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in the verses 1 through 20 today. Verse 1 reads this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went on their own, to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes, in claws, and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for them in the inn. It's Luke 2, 7. Man, this small sentence contains a big message. Mary and Joseph tried to get into the inn, but they weren't afforded a normal room. Instead, what did the innkeeper do? He sent them out to the stable. Or a small cave is actually more than likely what it was. I would venture to guess that Mary's condition was pretty obvious. Right? Women, those of you who have had children at nine months, the day that you're about to have a baby, is it obvious to pretty much everybody that you're pregnant? Right? And, and then people come and ask you dumb questions like, when are you going to have that baby? You look really big. You look like you're about to have that baby any day. Like, you just want to look at them and be like, shut up. You don't think I want to have this baby? You think I look uncomfortable? I feel uncomfortable, right? I don't know. I've never been pregnant, but that's what my wife has told me. Um, but it's very obvious when someone's about to have a baby. It leaves us to speculate. What was really going on in the innkeeper's mind? See, the first person that we see that missed Christmas was the innkeeper. Well, that doesn't make sense, right? Because we don't have inns anymore, right? But you know what we do have? Motels and hotels and holiday inns. Um, by the way, some of you will later figure out that I snuck in lyrics for an old song there. But it's okay. But here's what I know is that if you show up nine months pregnant at a hotel, can I tell you it makes hotel managers very nervous? And we have really great construction techniques now with with insulation and sound absorption. But 2,000 years ago, they didn't have all that. So it makes me wonder, possibly... If the innkeeper missed Christmas because he was more worried about his other guest. Listen, if you've ever been in the delivery room, I'm going to be careful with my words here. You know that it is not exactly a clean and sterile environment. You know that it can get quite messy. You know that it can also get really loud. And that's just from the husband screaming, going, ah! Or your wife going, get that woman out of here. Talking about the nurse that kept, like, 
pushing her and like telling her to do things. And she's like, the nurse is like, breathe. And she's like, I am breathing. <laughs> it was weird. About that time, I almost asked our pastor to come in and anoint with oil and try and cast the devil out. But I didn't figure that would be good for my health. Um, but man, it, it, it's, it's messy. It's loud. And I always feel bad because I'm like, man, you, like, if you've ever been in a labor and delivery room and you know you're on like a wing and you can hear other people having birth and you're just like, man, this sounds like that hurts. I should have given that woman a shot or something, right? And, 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 but imagine if you're in a hotel room and like, if you've ever been in a hotel room, you know, like, like sometimes your neighbors get loud because they're listening to music and, or they're watching TV and you want to like bang on their door, tell them, Hey, knock it off. Shh, be quiet, I'm trying to sleep. Could you imagine someone next door having a baby? Ah! And then you're going to get... Man, that's loud. And can I just tell you, if I was staying next to a room where a mama had a baby at a hotel that I was paying 100 bucks a night for, I'm going to be ticked. Because I didn't get no sleep. And I'm going to be down there complaining to the hotel manager the next day, like, what were you thinking? Now listen, that sounds really cold-hearted and callous. You want to know why? Because my heart is black coal when it comes to women giving birth in the hotel room right next to me. It's weird. No, I'm joking. It's not weird, but, but listen, that sounds absurd, right? How many of you guys, like, truthfully, like, there'd be something in you, like, you're like, oh, man, I'm excited they had a baby, I'm glad everything went well. But, like, when it's 4 a.m. and you ain't sleeping and you didn't have to get up for another four hours, you're not going to be happy about it. And so I wonder if the innkeeper missed Christmas because he was more worried about the other guests that he had in his hotel than he was about the one that was about to come. Perhaps his or her sense of compassion was overshadowed by the distraction of making money. Listen, it wouldn't be good business to have a woman, a woman giving birth in close quarters with other paying guests. Right? He didn't want to lose any more customers because if you lose customers, what does that mean you lose? Money. Whatever his motives, he missed out on the miraculous entrance of God in human form to this earth. Because he was distracted. One of my favorite movies, and I just saw it for the first time a couple of years ago, even though it's an older, not older, like older within the last decade uh, movie, is Christmas with the Cranks. Anybody ever seen it? Check out this video. In this friendly little town, there lived an enchanting family named the Cranks. Every year, they would celebrate Christmas together. Merry Christmas! Until the year their daughter Blair left for the holidays. Won't be the same. Then, Luther got a brilliant idea. We skip Christmas. We'll go bask in the Caribbean sun. We skip Christmas? What's up? No Christmas Eve party? Run away from Christmas, huh? A lot of the neighbors are pretty upset. They do not get frosty. Nora, stop the car. Talk to me, Nora. Please. Hello, Mom? Dad? I 
changed my mind and I'm coming home for Christmas. What? Based on the best-selling novel, Skipping Christmas. We have only 12 hours, so we're going to perform a little Christmas miracle. Ah! I'm getting the ham. Ah! You get the treat. Tim Allen. Your face. It's like it's frozen. I got a Botox injection today. Luther. And Jamie Lee Curtis. Christmas with the Cranks. What are you doing, Luther? Whoa! Easy! You see, this couple almost missed Christmas because they forgot what matters most. It shows how easily we can become distracted by the outside pressures during Christmas season. I've got a good friend of mine. Um, he and his community there in his neighborhood, they have a community-wide house decorating contest. Anybody grow up in a neighborhood like that? We didn't. We, we didn't put lights on the house, but I love it. And, and he said that every year, by the way, he won it last year. I just talked to him this last week. And he goes, you know, part of me doesn't want to put up Christmas. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Why don't you want to put up Christmas? He's like, there's so much pressure to win again. My wife looked at me this week and was like, hey, you know, we won last year, so we better win this year. It's just lights. But can I tell you here in the next week or so, I'm going to be up on the house putting up lights. Luckily, there's no Christmas neighborhood contest. And if there, don't tell me if there is, I'm going to pretend like I don't know. Because you want to know why? Because I'm competitive. And if I find out there is a Christmas contest for decorating lights, I might possibly look like the Griswold's house did. And airplanes will be trying to land in the back of our property here versus at the airport. I'm just saying, it would be bad. And y'all would walk by and be like, man, look, pastor has lost his mind. And, and why? Because it's so easy to get distracted. Because sometimes at Christmas, more than any other season, we feel like we've got to keep up with the Joneses, don't we? What do you mean your Christmas tree is eight years old? Don't you know they've got pre-lit Christmas trees? Right? Because there's nothing worse than putting up your pre-lit Christmas tree and realizing that you're missing the foot pedal that turns it on and off and it won't power up without it. That's currently going on at our house. And you know what? You can't buy the foot pedal. So you know what that means I've got to do? I either have to buy lights and string up a Christmas tree that I bought specifically so that I wouldn't have to string up lights, or I go buy another pre-lit Christmas tree. Get netted lights. Yes, what a great idea. My wife just shook her head and was like, "Hun, you're not doing that. <laughs> Baby, it's not a competition. Didn't you just listen to my sermon? I'm going to pay for that comment later whenever church is over. <laughs> but you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out and I'm going to figure out how to get the lights on. You want to know why? Because I, I, my kids love it. But if I were to be real truthful, I love it. But we can get distracted by, those, by that kind of stuff 
so that we don't really keep in mind what Christmas is all about. Listen, it's not about the presents. Do you know why we give presents? Because the wise men brought presents. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I'd be okay if some wise men brought me gold, frankincense, and myrrh, right? Do you know the value of gold right now? Come on. But you know what? We, we love receiving gifts. And some people love giving gifts. But you know what? That's not what the season's really about. It's not about lights that make it look pretty. But can I tell you, those things aren't bad in and of themselves. But when those things become the focus of Christmas, we've lost touch with reality. Why? Because at the end of the day, in a dirty old cave that wasn't very sterile, probably with some animals in it, and if you've ever been around farm animals, you know they poop everywhere and pee everywhere. Like they don't have a designated bathroom. When they got to go, they just go. You see, that was where the Savior of the world was born. And it's easy to get distracted from it. There's an old hymn, and we don't sing it anymore. I haven't heard it sung in probably about 15 years. But it, it, it was called, Thou Didst Leave Thy Throne. Anybody remember that song? Nope, probably very few do. Um, but there's a line in it um, that, that I just love, and it says, Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. There is room in my heart for Thee. See, the truth is that each one of us can be like the innkeeper when it comes to our hearts. Think about it, young people. You're going to start falling in love here pretty soon. Brett's going, no, ain't happening, right? Stay right there for as long as you can, right? But listen, young people, you've got to guard your hearts. Because there's going to be men and women that come around and, and young pretty boys and pretty girls that come around that want to steal your heart and they're going to try and take you away from Jesus. And you know what you need to do? You say no. You just say no. Look, you don't meet my standards. Or even better, you don't meet my dad's standards. And we're not talking about your earthly father. Although his standards are high as well. We're talking about our heavenly father. So it's good to guard our hearts, right? We guard our hearts from the wrong people. You ever have those people in your life that like when they start talking, you just like shut off your head because you know they ain't spilling nothing but, but lies and, and just junk and you don't need any of that in your head or in your heart. So what do you do? You close them out. And so it's good to guard our hearts against the wrong things. But if we're not careful, we can guard our hearts against the right things. Well, pastor, that doesn't make any sense. Husbands, any of you guys ever been guilty of this like I have? Your wife made you an incredible dinner. It looks awesome, but it tastes less than awesome. Right? Don't raise your hand. She'll elbow you right now. People will be going to the hospital going, what happened? It was just another service in MFA. It was weird. Um, but like sometimes it doesn't taste as good as it looked. It would be very beneficial to your health to not be like, babe, this is the worst thing I've ever eaten. You don't cook as good as my... Don't say that! 
Let me help you out in marriage here in 15 years when you get married. Don't ever tell your wife that she doesn't do something as good as your mom because you may get a frying pan thrown at you. But hopefully not because you married a godly woman, right? (laughs) That's messed up. But what was our spouse trying to do? Trying to be nice and feed you. Does it matter that it didn't taste good? Maybe only to your taste buds. But if we're not careful, as as husbands, we can become cynical and overbearing and judgmental and go, well, you didn't do it the way I wanted you to do it. Right? And all of a sudden, the love that our spouses are trying to show us, we have guarded our heart against that and we don't let them in. But can I tell you, husbands aren't the only ones that do it. Wives do it too. Think about it. Has your husband ever been there folding the laundry? I know, it's a crazy scenario. You, like, you look there and you're going, that's not how you fold that. Right? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever said that out loud? Right? Why? Your husband's trying to help you out. Who cares if he didn't fold your shirt just the way that you do? Guess what? You didn't have to do it. It's the thought that counts. Right? But we can guard ourselves against the generosity and the love and the over-exuberance of everything that our husband is trying to give us. Because it's not folded the right way. But you know what? If we're not careful, like those are stupid examples, right? But there are things in our lives that our spouses do that try to show that they love us, that if we're not careful, we won't accept that love. Right? My, my wife and I occasionally have to work to an agreement. You guys know what that means, right? Sometimes we disagree, and we've got to work towards finding agreement. Some of you guys may call that fighting. Um, we just, you know, we're trying to reconcile it. So, um, but did you know sometimes we fight and I tell her, that's not what I said. And she goes, well, that's not how it came across. And I'm going, well, it doesn't matter how it came across because it's not what I said. Right? Anybody ever had that little gem of an argument? Listen, you know what your spouse is trying to tell you when they're telling you that that's not how it came across? That, hey, listen, jerk, it doesn't matter how you meant it. This is how I received it. And if you want to get a hug or a kiss later, you want me to be nice to you in any remote way, I need you to fix the way you're coming across me because you're coming across like a big jerk. Now, look, because our spouses love us, they're going to try not to say that. But some of us are really thick-headed. And sometimes the only thing that will come across is, hey, you're being a jerk, stop. And then we get mad. And be like, well, I tried. And then we storm off, right? I mean, none of you guys, because all you guys have arrived and, and never, never lose it. And... But you know what happens? If we're not careful, if we trick ourselves into thinking that we can only receive love one way, we're going to miss out on a lot of ways that our spouse is trying to love us. We do the same thing with our parents, don't we? Or even our grandparents. I remember I was 14 or 15 years old, and my grandmother bought me a motorcycle. 
And look, before you think, man, that's an awesome... No, it wasn't a real motorcycle. It was a little, like, die-cast motorcycle that had the little plastic ripcord on the back of it that when you pull it, it goes... And takes off across the the kitchen floor. That's an awesome gift for a six or seven-year-old, not a 15-year-old. But you know what? I could have been like Grandma. This gift is awful. But you know what that would have done? Number one, it would have gotten my face knocked off my head. But number two, it would have hurt her feelings. And I realized that she, listen, because I need you to get this, she was doing the best she could. Did she miss it sometimes? Yeah. But you know what? Other times she got it right. Don't our parents do that sometimes, even still? I'm a grown man, and my parents still get it wrong every now and then. But you know what? Sometimes they get it right. And you know what? Sometimes our spouses get it wrong. But more often than not, they get it right. And if we're not careful, we can guard our heart against the wrong things. But I love what it says. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. There's room in my heart for Thee. There's room in my heart for You. question this morning that I want us to begin thinking about is, is there room in your heart for Jesus? Well, Pastor, I already accepted Christ. Look, I get that. I, yeah, awesome. You love Jesus, and you're the holiest person in the room. I get it. We're all there. But if we're not careful, we can edge Jesus out of our lives, even if we love him. Can't we? We can sing songs about Jesus rather than singing songs to Jesus. We can read stories about Jesus rather than letting the truth of those stories enter our hearts. We can give gifts yet not receiving the greatest gift that was ever given. So the question today becomes, is there room in your heart for Jesus? I'm going to look at the second half of the scripture, Luke 2, starting in verse 8, and it says this, And there were shepherds living out in the field, fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. You know what that tells me? That angels aren't this little fat cherub that we see on Valentine's Day. Like, it may not make sense. Like, the the first time I read this, I'm going, why were they terrified? It's just a little fat guy in a diaper running around with a bow and arrow, right? And, but all of a sudden, a host of angels showed up and they were terrified. So, like, in my head, this is what an angel looks like, Conan the the Barbarian. Like, just ripped, like huge swords, ready to kill everything in sight. You want to know why I think that? Because if you read in Revelations, there are angels that ride on horses that wipe out the entire land. Not the entire land, but pretty close. So they were, they were terrified. You ever notice, though, that in times in our lives when we become terrified or we get scared, regardless of what the reason, that if we'll wait long enough, we'll hear God speak to us and tell us not to be afraid? And that's just what the angels did. Said, but the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. There will be a sign to you, and you will find the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
When the angels left them and gone to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen, which were just as they had been told. You know what that tells me? When God speaks, what He says is truth. That when they went to find the baby Jesus, they didn't go looking in the inn with a baby wrapped in a robe. They went to the manger and found Him wrapped in cloths, just as God had said. The truth is, is that the shepherds were the least likely candidates to hear about the Messiah's birth first. At least according to human standards, right? They're just shepherds. That's nobody important. They they deal with livestock. Why didn't the angels make the announcement to some of the important religious leaders of Israel? Why didn't he go to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and say, Look, Jesus is here. Your Messiah has come. Why didn't he go to the Roman emperor's And go, hey, the king is here. It's not how God did it, is it? Maybe it's because those individuals were distracted by their political expectations. They were distracted by what they thought Jesus would be. Even the disciples got distracted by what their own political views were. Why? Because they asked, when are you going to establish your kingdom? I'm ready to be your right-hand man. I- I'm sure Peter, because he's a loudmouth, was like, dude, Jesus, who you want me to hit with that sword? Because I'll slap down anybody. Right? Because that's the way Jesus was, or not, that's the way Peter was. He, he was ready to go to the fight. And-, and people kept waiting for Jesus to establish an earthly kingdom and to come in the way that they had preconceived notions of who he would be and how he would reign. But that's not what Jesus did. You see, they were looking for Jesus to be a political Savior instead of the Savior of the world. Listen, I don't care where you align politically, but can I tell you, it doesn't matter who's elected. They're not going to be the Savior of America. Not going to happen. Not before, not ever. Why? Because the only hope that America has is Christ. But if we're not careful, we'll let our political beliefs get in the way of the Christmas season. Don't believe me? When's the last time you reached out and helped someone in need? Well, the government does that. They hadn't spent all their money on cigarettes and booze, right? Confession moment? I've said that. But you know, God says to take care of the poor. 
And you know, the poor are poor because of how they handle their money. And if we had someone come and fill out an application and show us their bank account and show us everywhere they spent money, do you think any of us would be in a very generous heart? No. Listen, I can say this because I drink a $5, from Star- $5 cup of coffee from Starbucks every now and then. Is that a good use of money? Probably not, but I love it. And it's one of the things that I do that makes me happy. Are those things wrong? No. But listen, you know what? People that are in need enjoy those things too. What makes you think that they don't need Starbucks coffee when you need Starbucks coffee? Why do you think that they don't need a smartphone when you got a smartphone? Now look, am I saying that we need to go buy every poor person a new iPhone 7? No. I don't even have an iPhone 7. Right? We talked about that. But you know what? It's not about what I have or what they don't have. It's about the heart behind it. And if we're not careful, we can let our preconceived notions of how we think things should be get in the way of God wanting to use us in a generous manner this season. Listen, those political leaders and and the Romans, they missed the Messiah at his birth and during his ministry. They missed it. Why? Because it wasn't their expectations for how things should be. So the question I want to ask this morning is, how rigid or how are our rigid expectations blinding us to God working around us? You see, if we're not careful, we can all put God in a box and God has to operate that one way. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like we pray and we ask God to do something and in our head we already figured it out for God what was the best way to do it and we pray for that very way to do it and then sometimes God doesn't do it that way and you know what we do? Instead of being thankful that God answered the prayer, we get mad at God for the way He answered the prayer. That's stupid. Do we think we're smarter than God? Yeah. Yeah, we do, don't we? Why? Because we know better. We'd have done it differently. And we'd have done it a lot faster. Our expectations for who Jesus should be, is it blinding what God wants to do through us this Christmas season? Are your personal beliefs getting in the way from you living a generous life? Listen, if you can afford to go shopping on Black Friday, you can afford to be generous during this season. Here's what I want us to do. Very last slide. What are your top three stressors and distractions this holiday season? I want you to pull out your bulletin or a piece of paper. And I want you to write it down. Or if you've got your phone, you can pull out the notes app and type it. What are your three greatest or your top three greatest stressors or distractions this season? Maybe it's family. Maybe your family stresses you out. And like, you know, they're getting ready to be here in three weeks. 
and your house ain't right, you ain't got any ornaments on your tree, your house ain't even clean, there's still like left nights, leftovers still sitting on the table and in the sink. So, so maybe it's family coming in. Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's keeping up with the Joneses. Maybe it's the fact that you just got laid off from your job. And you don't even know how you're going to have Christmas. You don't even know how you're going to pay your bills. Maybe it's an impending relationship. Maybe, maybe it's your spouse. Maybe things aren't good at home. And, and in the back of your head, even though you wouldn't say this out loud, you realize it could possibly be the last Christmas that you've got together. Truth is, I believe there's stresses in each of our lives. For me, can I, can I just tell you a stress that I've got this Christmas season? And this isn't a stress that anybody has put on me other than me. And it's not an expectation that anyone in this church has put on me. It's just one that I picked up and I'm carrying around. Man, I want this Christmas Eve service to be awesome. Like, I want people to walk away going, man, that's the greatest Christmas Eve service I've ever been to. Man, I found Jesus. I got saved. My family got saved. But you know what? How people respond in a church service isn't up to me. It's up to God what He does. So can I tell you my number one stressor is that Christmas Eve service. You want to know why? There's a lot of work and there's a lot of time and there's a lot of money that's gone into this thing. And if it fails... It's going to be very difficult as a pastor not to feel like a failure. As a church, to not feel like a failure. What if on Christmas Eve, we've got 10 people here? And it's me and my extended family. And nobody shows up besides the worship team. Can I tell you, that's stressful, isn't it? But you know what? That's a stress I don't have to carry. Why? Because it's not up to me. Well, Pastor, you're saying we shouldn't prepare? No, we should. And God's all about planning. But at the end of the day, we do the very best we can and we leave the rest up to God and let God do that. You know another thing that's really stressful to me? My family. I love my family, but they stress me out. They're loud all the time. You know what I'm talking about? Like just a normal conversation. Like when we go home, I walk in to my mom's house and like the normal conversation level is right here all the time. And it's just like, why are you yelling? I'm not yelling, I'm just talking. No, you're yelling. And it's stressful. You want to know why? Because my brother makes more money than I do. And he's going to get my kids awesome Christmas gifts. And he's going to get my mom an awesome Christmas gift. And you know what? In this season of life, my wife and I have decided to get out of debt. And and we're not going to buy awesome Christmas gifts. We're going to buy great Christmas gifts. 
And can I just tell you as a man, that stresses me out a little bit. How many of you guys agree that's stupid to carry that stress around, right? You know what another stress is? Another stress is Christmas dinner. And not so much stress for me, but stress for my wife, because I just saw the look on her face, and she hadn't even thought about Christmas dinner yet. And that stresses me out. And some of those are funny. But the truth of it, as ridiculous, like how many of you guys agree, Pastor, you should not be carrying the weight of any of those three things? Like how many of you guys would say that? Anybody? Okay, sweet. Fifteen people think that. We'll get the rest of you here later. But like as ridiculous as those things are, your list is just as ridiculous. Your list is just as petty. Look, can I tell you, even if you put down marriage, even if you put down finances, your list is still just as petty because you worrying about it and being stressed about it isn't going to change anything. The only thing that's going to change anything in your life is the power of Jesus Christ. Listen, your marriage is in shambles. Go to Christ. Your family is broken and shattered. Give it to Christ. You know that you may be losing your job come January 1. Guess what? Give it to Christ because Christ is the provider. Listen, Scripture says, if you being evil, talking about fathers, know how to give good gifts, how much more does your Heavenly Father know how to give? Listen, God's up to something. And can I tell you, here in just a moment, I'm going to invite people to come down to the altar, and we don't do this a ton, but I'm going to be the first one down here. You want to know why? Because if I continue to carry these stupid stressors in my life, you know what it's going to do? It's going to kill me. The number one thing that I have heard since I started pastoring is, Pastor, your hair sure has gotten gray. Right? Brian Hallmark went bald. Right? Pastoring stressful. And can I tell you, I'm carrying a stress I ain't gotta I ain't gotta carry. Look, I'm looking at some of you bald people too. Y'all are carrying stress you ain't gotta carry. But listen, listen, every single one of us is carrying stress that we don't need to be carrying. Jesus said that his load is light and his burden is easy. And can I tell you, if you're stressed to the max, you're not walking in Jesus' load. You're not walking in His burden. And so this morning, I'm going to be the first one to to answer the altar call. Why? Because I'm carrying some unnecessary junk in my life right now. Look, and can I tell you, we're not talking sin. Being stressed isn't a sin. But if we're not careful, it can lead to sin. Because it shows our lack of faith in God. If we're not careful, it can, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're in a lifestyle of sin. I think sometimes when we think about the altar, we think about people coming down and giving away addictions and all this kind of stuff. But the altar is a place to come and to be still before God.
See, in our microwave generation and society, we want everything right now. You know what I miss in church? Well, I sort of miss it. It's Sunday night services. You want to know why I miss Sunday night services? Because it was in the Sunday night services that I learned to wait on God. You want to know why? Because we didn't have anything going on afterwards. What did you have to do? You just go home, shower, and go to bed. But Sunday mornings is hard to wait on God, isn't it? Look, it's creeping up on 12 o'clock, and some of you are already getting antsy going, Come on, Pastor, you let us out two weeks in a row before noon. We're going to make it three? Guess what? We ain't making it three. But we got so much going on that we're like, ooh, we got to get, we got this appointment, right? Because you know you got a long-winded pastor and you still make appointments for like 12, 15, and 12, 30. No, and there ain't no good way on most days you're getting out by that time. And we're like, we got to go to lunch because I'm hungry. You have, talk, you have talked longer than what my stomach can handle. You need to hurry up, pastor. I need a burger. And we get so distracted that sometimes we even miss what God wants to do at the end of a service. Why? Because we've relegated him moving to a certain way in our head. And it's got to fit in a certain time. And if it doesn't fit that, then it wasn't God. So what stresses you? Would anybody be willing to share just like a ridiculous thing? Like now that you wrote it down and you look at it, you're just going, this is really stupid for me to carry. Anybody have one of those? No? Awesome. Everybody's like, Pastor, I'm not going to do it. Here's what I know, though. Even if you don't want to share it, I know you got it. And, and, and maybe you've arrived and, like, there ain't nothing stressing you out this Christmas. Man, that's awesome. I'm praying to get there. But I believe answering this altar call be a first step for many of us to let go of the things that we don't need to carry and to allow God to bear the burden of what's stressing us out here's what I want us to do I want us to just stand as Ashley continues to play to play I'm going to pray and then I'm going to ask you to come so let's do that let's let's go to God Lord we come to you right now Lord you see our list God some of it funny some of it very serious God and one thing that I've learned is each one of us are carrying things that we don't need to carry God we're we're carrying things that you never designed for us to pick up and to bear that load Lord but today we say enough is enough God, I can't do this on my own. If I continue to do this, it's going to kill me. Lord, and I want to live a stress-free life for the first time, maybe in a long time during this holiday season, during this Christmas season, during this Advent season, looking up to the coming of Christ. So this morning, if that's you, And you would say, God, I've got some things in my life that I'm stressed about. I've got some things in my life that I'm carrying that I know you don't want me to carry. But I want you to simply step out from where you are right now and come to these altars and spend just a few moments 
with God. If that's you, come right now. then maybe find someone to pray with. Find one of these men, one of these women that are down here and come join them in prayer because it's not about any of us doing it on our own. It's about us doing it together as a group of believers who's totally surrendered to you. God, that's facing things. God, that are beyond our control. God, things that we've tried to do everything we know how to do. God, and it's still not as we had hoped. God, we're still holding on to those things that we know we shouldn't. So God, we ask forgiveness. God, where we fall short. God, where our faith is small. God, not that we don't have faith, but that it's small. God, this morning as we came to the altar, God, as a a symbolic gesture to say, God, we lay these things at your feet. God, to leave them here, not to pick them back up. God, not to pick up the stuff that you were meant to carry. God, and to try and carry that load on our own. God, I pray in the coming weeks as these things may have a tendency to creep back. God, that we would remember the decision we made this morning to leave it at this altar. God, and for those that that weren't here, God, that as 
stress comes this Christmas season. That God, just as easily as we came down front today to offer it to you, God, that they themselves can offer those things to you. God, so that we don't have to be distracted by the things of life, but God, that we can focus on you this Christmas season. Lord, we love you.